Casey Franchini is the founder of Brick by Brick Wealth. She is a real estate investor and a mom of three young children who earns a passive second income from investing in single family rental properties. She also teaches aspiring real estate investors that they too can live a better life with passive income from rentals. And it starts with getting the first one. In this episode, we talked to Casey about how she first got started in real estate as a residential real estate agent, how fear of the unknown kept her and her husband from investing in the beginning, the unique side hustle she started as a stay-at-home mom to save up for the down payment on their first rental property, and the key to making managing single-family rentals easy. I'm Neil Henderson, and this is The Road to Family Freedom. Before we get to this week's show, we'd like to make you aware of something. We are self-storage investors. We buy existing self-storage facilities and vacant buildings that can be converted to self-storage in the Sun Belt. We buy them with cash and some with loans, and we use private lenders who become equity partners in our deals. These equity partners share in the cash flow and the profits when we sell. When we find a deal that we are considering, we call the equity partners and offer them a share of the ownership secured by the property. So if you've ever driven by a self-storage facility and thought, I wonder who owns those things? and you have any interest in learning more about the storage business, we'd love to chat with you. Head on over to roadtofamilyfreedom.com slash storage. That's roadtofamilyfreedom.com slash S-T-O-R-A-G-E and set up a time to chat. We look forward to speaking with you. All right, enough out of us. Let's hit the road to family freedom. Casey Franchini, welcome to the Road to Family Freedom. Thank you so much for having me, Neil. I'm really excited to be here today. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you. And I wish that Brittany, Brittany couldn't join us. She's downstairs homeschooling our son, so I'm flying solo again. Before we dig a little deeper, can you tell our listeners how you got into real estate investing? Sure. Oh, gosh, geez. I have been in love with houses, real estate ever since I was little. When I grew up, let's see, my the house we grew up in, my dad, it was a fixer. He fixed it up for 10 years. <laughs> he was always doing something. And so I just loved, you know, fixing houses up, making them look better. And I, you know, before I even got into real estate, I you would find me at all the open houses around town, all the new builds in Southern California, I would drive 45 minutes to Temecula and Corona and check out all the Beezer homes and all of them. I would go several times. It was just my favorite thing to do. But you know, you go to college, your job is you got to get a job. You got to get a job. That's what everybody says. So I was like, all right. So I went and got a job and I was driving, you know, an hour and a half to Newport Beach, going to work. And I was crying on my way home because it was hard and, you know, they expected a lot of me and it was a lot of driving. And I was like, this isn't really, gosh, really? Do I want to be doing this for the rest of my life? So I kind of quit after just three months. And I said, that's it. I don't have to do this anymore. What else can I do? What do I love? I want to make my living doing what I love. So I got my real estate broker license in California, being a real estate agent. But I was young, you know, I was young and this was and I look young, I look young now, and I look even younger when I was younger. And so uh, it was really hard for me at that time living in Orange County in California to sell real to sell people's houses for them. I mean, the houses were 800,000 a million dollars. And, you know, when you're a 50 or 60 year old, and you have a million dollar house, you don't really want some 23 year old girl who looks like she's 16 to sell your house for you. So that was hard for me, it was a struggle. So I found my niche 
helping real estate investors because they're like, hey, girl, you want to help me find a property? That's a good deal. Go for it. <laughs> Bring it on over. So I found my niche helping real estate investors. And in California, they weren't really buying rental properties, which is what I do now, but they were doing flips, a lot of flips. And it was during the Great Recession back then, 2007, 8, 9. And uh, I was finding really good deals for them. And I would, I would do a lot of driving because Southern California is huge. You know, now we live in Memphis. It's not very, you know, you can get to the middle of nowhere in 45 minutes. But in Southern California, you could drive for three or four hours and <laughs> still be in a city. So I was driving all the way from the desert, you know, to the beach, to downtown Los Angeles and to all the way out into San Bernardino and Redlands and finding deals for people. It was a lot of gas. And I was pretty good at it and I loved it. But I was like, geez, man, these guys have so much money. How do they have all this money? How can they buy these houses for $400,000, $700,000 and flip them? Like you have to have a lot of money. But see, at the time, I was just an agent and everyone in my office only sold to residential people. So there weren't really a lot of real estate investors that were real estate agents that I could get any advice from. So I almost, you know, I was getting married, um, not married yet, or maybe I wasn't married, barely. And I talked to my husband, Blake, and I was like, we've got to do this, like, I love real estate. Let's buy, let's buy properties. Talk to my dad. He said, Hey, Casey, let's flip something. But they were offering stated income. And so I just said, I made whatever. And they were going to let me buy this $750,000 property. And I was going to flip it. They, I know we, we got in contract. We had the inspection and there were some issues with the roof. So we didn't go through with it. Thank goodness. Cause I didn't really know what I was doing. But um, so I realized, okay, well, let's not do flips. So let's do rentals. So I looked all the way out into the desert. You know, it was hard to find a property worth renting in California because, you know, it's expensive. So the rent to price ratio is not really there for you. So we made several offers, 30, 40 offers. Never did I pull the trigger. And it's like, why? You know, why? Because I didn't really know what I was doing. I didn't have anyone to help me. So then we moved to Memphis. My husband got a job offer that he couldn't refuse. And so he moved to Memphis um, with a two-year-old, a cat, and a newborn, literally three weeks old, my son. And I thought Memphis was just a gold mine. I was like, oh my God, there's houses for $10,000 here. Like we are going to be rich. You know, <laughs> I'm going to buy all these houses up. <laughs> I'm going to have a hundred houses in no time. But, you know, then you you go to those locations, you're like, oh, never mind. <laughs> That's OK. I'll pay a little bit more, you know. So but we did uh, save up and started buying our our rental properties in Memphis. And so that's kind of how I got started in real estate. And we're here and this is where we invest now. OK, so what time period we're talking? When did you get your real estate broker's license? I believe it's 2007. That's a oh, perfect time to get your real estate license. It was, there, I know he, the managing broker at my office is like, are you sure you want to get your license right now? You know, are you sure? I was like, yes. Yeah. I have a good friend of mine from graduate school who, um, she was living in Brooklyn, New York, and she mm -hmm. finished her travel agent school on September 9th, 2001. Oh, wow. And then two days later, you oh, know, wow. watched, yeah. I mean, that's a whole, whole nother story, but uh, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, so the timing, yeah. And I bought, I bought a house in Vegas in 2005, but you know, after it had doubled in value in a year. So, you know, t time and market is more important than timing the market folks. That's right. <laughs> uh, and so when did you make your move to Memphis? 2013. 2013. Okay. So probably a, a great time to move to Memphis. Yes, it was. We honestly, it's not been too bad. And people ask about how was the transition going from California to Memphis? You know, <laughs> it was uh, really not any different than I would have expected. Yeah. I mean, Memphis is kind of a hip happening town. So I 
Yeah, it wasn't too bad. Yeah. So when did you buy your first investment property? So like I said, we bought our first house in 2013 when we bought it, actually, because we were still living in California and we didn't want to rent. We bought right away. So I was like, I don't know, eight months pregnant. And we flew out here for two days and looked at 40 houses and made an offer on several and got one. Just we weren't trying to be very picky. So we bought our first house, primary residence. And then it wasn't until I think 2016 or 15, we bought our first rental property. Gotcha. So, so I'm sorry, what was the year again you bought first I, I rental? I think it was 2016, I'm going to say. Okay, so you, you bought your personal home in 2013 in Memphis. Okay, mm-hmm. and, and you moved out there. Okay, so I'm going to focus on the first rental property. We really like to, to dig in and find out, you know, what that first rental property was like. What was, what was it? Was that three bedroom, two bath, square footage? Do you remember any of that? Yeah, I do. We still have it. It was a three bedroom, one bath. It was, it is. And about a thousand square feet, maybe 1100 square feet. And it was in a really nice area, B-class neighborhood, desirable school area in East Memphis. And we bought it for, I think, $92,000. And we put 20% down. And I think we ended up doing a 20-year loan on it as well, because I don't think the interest rate was much different. And you know, I was like, okay, well, we'll pay it off sooner. I mean, it was our first one. Now it's like, oh, I don't care what it is when doing 30-year loans. But, you know, it was our first one. We thought, okay, we'll pay it off sooner. That You know, the payment wasn't very much more. And the rent on it currently is $1,150. And then was it, was it rent ready or did you have to do any renovation? We did slight renovation. We love to do our, all of our own rehabs. And we've, we've fixed up several houses, um, even before we moved here for friends and for family members, really. But this house didn't need a lot of work. We did scrape the ceilings though. And I'll never do that again for rental properties, but you know, when it's your first one, I feel like you go above and beyond. You want to make it perfect, just like you would your own house. So we scraped the ceilings. We painted the entire thing. We smoothed out some walls because there had been some texture issues from previous owners. Um, we paint everything very nice. And honestly, we just made a cleanup. I think we painted the cabinets in the in the kitchen and stuff and we reglazed the bathtub, maybe put in a new toilet. But it wasn't very big. It wasn't a large rehab like we've done afterwards in other houses. Gotcha. Was Pretty it like, easy. Was it like popcorn ceilings or something like that? Yes, it was God. popcorn ceilings. And oh my gosh, I got some good tricep workouts. And, <laughs> <laughs> and with the lats or something, scraping yeah. those ceilings down. <laughs> yeah. Do you still do your own rehabs or you hire those out? We do. We do. And I gotta say, we might just be a little cheap. You know, we every time we get a quote for something, we're like, oh God, no way. I can do that myself. So we're like, well, let's just save that money and do it ourselves. So you should see our garage. Oh my gosh. We have every tool known to mankind. It doesn't, we definitely don't park in our garage. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Yes. We do our all of our own rehabs for sure. Now we were talking offline beforehand. I know you've got three kids. um, Mm -hmm. And does your husband have a full-time job? Yes, he does. Okay. He's working full-time W-2 job. Okay. And are you, you're full-time, full-time mom? Yep. Which I, yes. yeah. So how do you manage those, how do you manage those rehabs juggling three kids and, and a full-time job? I tell you, when we do a rehab, it is, it does take a toll on the family. It's hard. Um, and it always takes longer than you think. And it takes longer than you would if you were to hire it out. But we save so much money. It's worth it. And we love doing it. We love doing it ourselves. It's so much fun. 
like I said, I grew up with my dad always doing rehabs. I just love the before and after. I love the seeing what you can do to something. So it would take a toll, but you know, we would go after work. Sometimes my mother-in-law actually ended up moving out here a few years later. So sometimes she would wash the kids for us. And sometimes we would take them with us on the weekends. Every weekend during a rehab time, we were spending at the property. And, you know, we pack up our cars with my lawnmower and my backpack blower and my edger. And I'm, you know, the yard guy. And I do that. And my husband's inside, you know, fixing stuff. And we do it after work and on the weekends. And sometimes my husband will stay late till midnight or 1 or 2 a.m. and finish painting and then wake up and go to work the next day. Wow. I saw on one of your previous Instagram posts, there was a, a picture of you probably from a few years ago. And you were you were sitting on a hardwood floor after having, yeah. you know, you're breastfeeding your child, your youngest child, yeah. I think. And, and it was I assume it was under a rehab underway. Yes, it was. Oh, Luckily, God. we had the floors refinished. And I had, I mean, that was a property that took, that house took a long time to do because I was pregnant, had a baby. And then, you know, I didn't want my husband gone all the time because I just had a baby and I had, you know, another kid or two at home. And so, yeah, I was, we, oh man, that was a long rehab, but I was sitting on the floor and at least was a clean swept room and breastfeeding him while Blake was in the bathroom, totally demoing it. Wow. <laughs> yeah, wow. that was an everyday occurrence. I'm like, you know, what? I've got to document this. I have to take a picture. And so then I would breastfeed him. He'd fall asleep and I'd, I'd lay him on some blankets I brought right there in the room and gently close the door and, and hope he'd stay asleep. So with construction, with construction noise going on in the house. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. know, just how I grew up. It yeah. runs in the family. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so how long would you say a typical rehab takes you guys to do? It depends on the extent. Um, you know, there was one house we did and I didn't take hardly any time at all. We, I don't think we really did anything. We, we cleaned it. We always end up redoing the bathtubs, um, with a tub and tile kit from Rustoleum, 20 bucks, easy to refinish. Um, a lot of times we'll, you know, if the bathroom doesn't need rehab, then we will clean the grout out, recalk. We usually like to just put in new toilets no matter what, because that's the last thing you want is someone saying my toilet toilet's broken. That's just gross. Like I just want to put in a new toilet. They're cheap right off the bat. So yeah. now we just do that. But as far as the time it takes, some we clean up in a couple of weeks and some might take four months. It just depends on the extent. You know, we, like I said, we do all of our own rehabs in the last property we did. We did a brand new kitchen and we put a wall back up and created a third bedroom. And so that takes a lot of extra time as well. Gotcha. And are you only buying rentals or are you doing some flips as well? We've considered flips in today's market, but we're only buying rentals. And I feel like, you know, there's always this like feel like race at the top. Everyone's got so many houses, so many houses, and they spend all their time, you know, finding leads and making offers and draw to get so many houses with other people's money. Like as exciting as that like sounds, it's just, I don't want to lose my passion for real estate. I love it. I yeah. love buying rental properties, not spending hardly any time once they're done getting one at a time, you know, one or two a year. And it's like, it's easy. You know, I don't really want to make it difficult. And I don't feel like I want to be that person. You know, I just yeah. like my slow and steady pace. Yeah. Well, there's something, there's really something to be said for knowing yourself and knowing you know, we, and we talk about this all the time was with no, when you get started, know what you want your life to look like when you're, when you're up and running and you're doing it. Because there's a lot of people who who sort of get 
they chase the shiny object of oh house flipping or oh oh lease options sandwiches or you know oh commercial real estate syndication whatever and they don't really think about what the life is like once they get there because some are yeah. less passive than others and even those that are maybe somewhat passive are still a very different lifestyle i know i mean i know flipping is really good it's i mean if you want to flip now's the time to do it prices are going up interest rates are low you can't get enough you'll get offers right away you can basically ask whatever you want but and it's been tempting. A wholesaler sent me a house in our in in our the neighborhood we buy in, and it was perfect. We could have paid all cash. We could have paid all cash to flip it. We could have taken our time, and it would have been amazing. But I'm like, I don't. I mean, we like to rehab. We like to fix up, but we don't like to do that much work. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I'm talking Burr method work. This house was a complete gutter. It needed everything, and I'm like, I don't want to clean out all that guy's junk. I don't want to. That's yucky, you know? And so, like I said, like, I want to keep my passion. And I feel like if I have to do a complete, you know, rehab with on a burned house or an electrical fire or a house that's had a flood or a house that's been vacant for six months to a year and the walls are falling in, like, I don't want that. So, and those are the ones that make the good flips, the ones that nobody wants and that you can really create some good added value there and make a lot of money. It's appealing. It's a good thing to do if you're into that. But I like to spend my time picking up my kids after school, hanging out with my friend Melanie and her jacuzzi on the weekends, you know, and I just like my easy street of buy a rental property, put a tenant inside and don't think twice about it. Gotcha. Okay. So you bought your first rental in 2016. How many rentals do you have now? We have five and we didn't get to buy any last year because the coronavirus and we were unsure of the market with the election and all that. And I uh, was starting a new coaching program. So I just spent my time focusing on that. So we have some, a little catching up to do this gotcha. year. Do you have sort of a goal where you kind of think you have a, your eye on a, a certain number of doors that you're looking at or a certain number per year? Or? I used to say I want to own 100 houses, you know, and I still may. But I feel like as we grow, as we evolve, as we grow up, all of our goals change. What we want in life really changes. So my initial goal of I want to own every house on the block. I don't know if that's really true anymore. I feel like what I really want is, first of all, obviously, the more money, the better. Sure, give me that private jet and private island. But do I really want to work that hard for that? No, I don't. (laughs) So I feel like for us, my my goal now, our goal now is to have enough houses to make $100,000 in passive income. That's really financial freedom for us. We can live our current lifestyle and we wouldn't have to depend on W-2 or any pensions that don't even exist anymore or any government help or anything. Like we could be totally self-sufficient if we had $100,000 passive income. And for us, that would be 10 to 12 houses paid off. And that's not that many, you know, Um, that's not that many. And again, for us, you know, it's the, the amount of positive cash flow that makes a difference. So some people will buy a house and they'll make 200 a month positive cash flow. Ours are 400, 500 and a little more, a little over five a month passive income, a positive cash flow. Mm-hmm. So we don't need a lot of houses to make that 100,000. We only need 10 to 12. Yeah. So we're, we're halfway there. We could pay some off if we wanted, but I think we're just going to, we're going to redo our kitchen this year. And then we're also going to buy hopefully one or two before the end of 2021. Gotcha. Are you able to use the Burr method on you doing some value add when you do the rehab? 
We could do the burn method. And I honestly, I always try and convince my husband, let's just do the burn method. We'll get to use our money back out. He's like, Casey, if we can afford to buy the house all cash, I'm not getting a loan. We can save up because see, to like, you know, to do a cash out refinance and get a loan on it. He said, because see, we save so much money. The more more rental properties you have, you're able to, to basically resave that down payment so much faster. So why would we need to you know, do a refinance and take a loan. If we can afford to buy a property all cash, let's just keep it all cash and, you know, have that as an asset and not have to pay the bank, you know, a loan because in three or four months, we'll have enough to buy another property for a down payment on a real loan if we wanted to anyways. And with appreciating markets and the fact that you hold the properties for the long term, we will, we will create added value just by appreciation. And so I don't need to, again, spend months of my time with my kids at these houses, fixing them up. Uh, we could hire out, but again, we no one does the kind of good quality work that we do. So it's hard to hire that out. Yeah. Are there loans on all five of your rental properties or do you own some free and clear? They, there are currently all loans, but their loan balances are very small and it's very tempting to just pay them all off. So I think we probably, well, we want to do all of it. You know, we're redoing our kitchen. We want to pay off a couple of houses and buy another property. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll probably get to do all of that because it just feels so good to not have to pay the, the lender, you know, see like for one of our house for basically most, most of them, let's say we have $400 a month positive cash flow on one. And let's say our mortgage payment or PITI is four or 500. So, you know, yes, you have to pay taxes and insurance. But after that, if we just paid one off, that'd be like putting down payment on another property, we'd basically be getting another rental income by not having to pay the lender. So we would get an extra 300 bucks a month if we just paid one off and we wouldn't have to buy another property. Yeah. So it's tempting. Yeah. No, it is tempting to sit there and do that math of, you know, if I snowball all the income into one and pay down that debt. And then now that, you know, just snowball it to the point where you, you got, you know, all of them paid off. It does sound tempting. Exactly. Cause then you save money even faster and you yeah. can buy more properties faster because yeah. Yeah. you're not paying the bank interest. Yeah, exactly. I want to circle back a little bit from a story I've heard you tell. Uh, and I want, I want you to tell it here about how you guys saved up for your first property. It was kind of an unusual story. Can you recount that for us? Sure, sure. So like I said, when we first moved to Memphis, we bought our primary residence. And being kind of young, that was a lot of money. We And like I said, we like fixers. So our house, uh, still under construction eight years later. Um, we're, like I said, we're just doing our kitchen. We just put in new doors upstairs. And we are still, we're painting the upstairs again for the second time. So I'm um, currently we painted my daughter's room yesterday. She wants a space room, but we, we moved here and we put a lot of our money into this primary residence. And I said, look, I want to buy rentals, but I don't want to buy in that, you know, D class neighborhood. Like I originally thought. So we need to save up. And my husband's like, okay, well, what are you going to do to save for that? You know, <laughs> it's like, shoot, you know, I don't work. <laughs> so I said, well, what can I do? You know, I don't want to go get a job because I have a legit newborn and a two-year-old and I don't know anybody. I just moved here. What can I do? How can I use any skills that I have to make money? Or I mean, I thought I didn't have any skills, to be honest. I didn't want to be a real estate agent out here. So I decided that, well, what do I love? I love to do crafts, right? What, what girl doesn't like to do crafts? So I bought a Cricut machine, which is like a die cut machine. And you know how people will make these like cool cups, vinyl cups, or they make their own t-shirts and stuff like that. Well, I bought the machine to make that. It was like 300 bucks. Actually, my husband bought it for Christmas for me. 
And I started selling, you know, personalized $5 buddy rabbits that I bought from the Dollar Tree for a dollar. And I put like a 10 cent name on them, you know, with my machine cost me 10 cents, not even, I mean, I just said 10 cents for taxes, but I think it was like, I was hardly any money. And I would sell these $5 bunny rabbits. And then it evolved into selling bridesmaid gifts and wedding gifts and things that everything was under 35 bucks. You know, I just did it during my kid's nap time. And I sold stuff online on Etsy on local Facebook groups. I would, people would do porch pickup and they'd pick up items for holidays, Easter and Valentine's Day. I'd make personalized items. And I just did that. I did that for one and a half years, uh, maybe two years. And I saved about $20,000 doing that. And I was like, all right, I got my money. Now we can buy our first rental property. And that felt so powerful because, you know, especially, and this is to all the moms out there that are listening to this, that maybe stay home and don't have a job. I, I felt like I wasn't contributing financially to my family. I felt like I wasted my degree. I felt like I'm just this mom now and I have no purpose in life. You know, how can I create value for myself and for my family? And starting this little side hustle when I, any mom would say, I don't have any time. I've got all these kids, you know, it's like you do, you do have time. You're just choosing to be on Instagram or watch Netflix instead, you know? I would be at uh, upstairs in my craft room on weekends and at nights and I would make stuff and I saved up my money because I wasn't going to take no for an answer and I was going to get that dang rental property. And my husband said, okay, what's up to you to save the money. So I did it. And it, you know, it was, it fueled our desire to save up more and sacrifice. And, you know, we're barely redoing our kitchen now. We've been here eight years and it's a worse kitchen than any rental house we own. <laughs> and <laughs> terrible. It's embarrassing. Chat and the doors are falling off and stuff. And so, but a sacrifice, you know, and I sacrificed and I did it. And I'm so happy because now I make a second income from our rental properties and I feel powerful. I feel like I'm contributing financially and I'm still able to get my kids from school. I'm still able to help them with homework. And I still feel like I have created value in my, in my self-worth as a mom, you know, and also not wasting my degree. And the fact that, yeah, I don't really use it, but I have created you know, a second income for my family with minimal continuing effort. Gotcha. Do you self-manage your properties? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Okay. Yep. And it's really not that hard. People get worried about it. And, you know, I'll say it was, it's always scary at first. Every time you do something new, it's scary. But then once you do it and you're like, oh, this isn't so bad. Let's do it again. I don't want to give a property management company 10%. I live 15 minutes from my property and they never call me. You know, I mean, I, I always say to everybody, you know, my little thing is most weeks I spend zero hours managing my properties. This is February. I haven't heard from a tenant since the beginning of January. And, and I don't even know what that was for. Maybe it was just to say they paid rent. Take it back. I had a tenant call me yesterday and say, I paid rent. (laughs) There's just not been any problems. It's just so easy. You know, you, you put a tenant in, you do, first of all, you do quality work, put a tenant in and you won't have any problems. So yeah, I manage my own properties because I don't want to give up that 10%. It's not a lot of work. Yeah. Gotcha. So you you said most weeks you spend zero hours. So on average, what would you say per week you're spending uh, on your real estate endeavors? Well, really zero hours unless there's something that comes up. I don't spend any time. Um, The only time I need to do anything is if there's a maintenance issue, like something's broken, which is very rare. I think I was going through my documents 
the other week because, you know, it's tax time. So, okay, well, what did I have last year in 2020? We did have to install an air conditioner or no, a new furnace, um, which I knew was coming up because it was 39 years old. Can you believe it? it lasted that long? Wow. We did install a new furnace and one of the tenants washing machine drains was kind of backing up. So instead of sending my husband out, now we sent out this little handyman guy sometimes and we feel really rich now that we <laughs> we pay someone to do stuff it's like oh go ahead chucky go out there and check out that drain and he sends us a little easy bill for 80 bucks or something but it just isn't a lot of time unless there's something comes up and the big time spent is really in the beginning of the process when you buy the property when you fix it up when you advertise it when you do showings and you get a tenant in place but once that contract is signed and they give you that first rent check you're not going to hear from them especially if you do a good job initially fixing up your property and you pick quality tenants that are going to pay you, that is the key. Picking tenants is like, whew, number one, number one thing for me is picking a good tenant because all your hard work will go down the drain as soon as you pick a bad one. Okay. Well, let's dig into that a little bit because how, what is your tenant screening process like? Like how, how do you ensure that you're going to have good tenants? Well, I'll tell you, I, I didn't always do all the things in the beginning. I thought, well, you know, in this area, everyone's got bad credit. Why even check? I don't even want to know. <laughs> you know, why are they living in this neighborhood if they have great credit? So I didn't. And, and it caused, you know, some problems. And so this one tenant that we had, she's, she's turned her life around. I will tell you, she is amazing now. She's been in my property over three years. And she told me, you know, just the other month, she said, you know, Casey, when I first moved in, my credit score was a 450. And I was like, what? Like, if I would have ran her credit, she would not have been in the property. I would have said, no way, you know. But so through issues, I've learned my lessons. And now my screening process is the first thing I do is obviously I advertise on Facebook. I advertise with Zillow. I put a sign in the yard and most of my calls come from signs. And actually, I guess pretty even. I do get a lot of calls from sign in the yard, uh, I will say. And I like the sign in the yard calls because that's people that are already familiar with the area. They aren't surprised. They know what to expect. They know what the going rents are. And then when I show them pictures of my awesome property, better than everybody else's, they always want to buy it. So I take the initial call and people hate calling, talking to people on the phone. I'm, I'm not a fan of it either. And I, I really hate it, but I, I do it because... I don't want to waste my time driving to show a property to people that aren't qualified. So I do an initial pre-screening process over the phone and I ask them all, all the questions. And just because I list the qualifications or the tenant requirements in the listing, I can promise you right now they are ignoring that and they will still try and rent your property. So <laughs> you have to ask them, you know, how much do you make? It's hard. You feel like Ugh, invasive and I'm invading your privacy. How much do you make? You don't even know me, you know? Oh, well, ask them how much they make. Ask them who's moving in. Why are they moving? All the questions. And if they, you feel like they're answering those questions well, then, and I think that they will be a good fit. I'll have them over for, uh, to look at the property. And usually I'll even send the application to them in advance and say, Hey, why don't you fill this out? And then if you like it, when we meet, you can just hand it to me. That way I'm not sitting there waiting for you to fill it out or, oh, I'll fill it out when I get home and send it to you next week. Like, no, if you like it, then give it to me if you like the house. And uh, so usually I'd really try and minimize the amount of people that I go waste my time showing to. And I really try and only show to the ones that I actually kind of already plan on renting to as long as they aren't lying to me 
And when I get their application, it all checks out when I call, you know, call work and all of those yeah. things. So that's the basic process. I run their credit and background check now. And if, you know, red, there's a plenty of red flags. If they tell me they want to pay in advance, pay all cash, I say no. And, you know, um, there's just so many things. It's, it's, it's a big judgment call, really. You got to make sure they meet the qualifications. You can't discriminate. But it still is kind of a judgment call. And the no smoking, too. I'm really big on that. We bought a, our first property. A smoker lived there before. And I must have a good sense of smell because everyone's like, oh, I can smell it. I'm like, well, I can smell it. So that was another reason why we scraped the ceilings, because we had to paint that baby top to bottom. Yeah. We refinished the floors, everything. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it smelled bad, you know, in my opinion. I can still kind of smell it after, but maybe I, maybe I really couldn't. And I just thought I did. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, one nice thing is you can get rid of the smell, but it, yes. uh, it's a lot of work. You got to do yeah. You got basically have to, you know, tear the inside of the house out. Yeah. So when I see them now in person, when I meet them, I, I wait outside for them and I see what they drive up in. I peek in their car and see if they got ashtrays and cigarettes everywhere. And is there McDonald's wrappers all over the place and they have tape over their back window and their car barely makes it. It's like, uh, you know. Yep. Um, I, I got to check them out. And if they smell like smoke and they tell me they don't smoke, I'm like, liar. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. We interviewed a, a, a do-it-yourself landlord a few weeks ago who set up a screening process where she does a an online application. Like the first thing that somebody gets if they're interested, here's the online application, fill it out. And it's a pre-screening process. And mm-hmm. so she doesn't even, doesn't even talk to them until they've done that, you know, just to kind of, because, you know, she said she, you know, when she puts out an ad, it's usually she's flooded with tons of people going, is this still available? Is this still available? You know, can I, can I come look at it? And she didn't want to, you know, be constantly going down someplace to show it to somebody who's not qualified. Exactly. And that's why I ask a lot of questions over the phone. I realize when I put a sign in the yard, I'm going to get calls. So I answer every single phone call for a whole week. And I weed out the ones that aren't going to make the cut. And I just keep talking to the ones that are. And as soon as they don't meet that, you know, I make three times the rent. It's like, okay, you know, what? I'm sorry. Like, you know, this is our requirement and we don't, we're not flexible on that, you know. And then I'll say, if I have any more properties coming up that meet your criteria, I'll let you know. And yeah, I, I don't because I only usually have one at a time. So, but they don't know that. And that's a good way to get them off the phone without feeling bad. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. So you grew up in a real estate family. So mm-hmm. did a lot of your, your know-how and your understanding of real estate just come from just being around it as a kid every day? You know, like I said, my dad didn't do real estate. He, he just fixed up properties. Okay, and gotcha. so I was around construction a lot and I was around rehab a lot. So that was the process I was very familiar with. It wasn't until I went to, you know, real estate school and I got my broker license that I really learned all about real estate. And I worked for a really good residential real estate firm in California called Tarbell Realtors. I really liked them. They have excellent training um, for new real estate agents. And so I learned a lot from them. Gotcha. So if you, Casey, were needed to start over tomorrow knowing nothing about real estate investing now, what would you, how would you start over? What would your your real estate investing MBA look like? If I was starting over, I will tell you, I I wouldn't be afraid to buy those rental properties like I was afraid in 2010. When Blake and I were looking at buying rentals in the desert um, and in Fontana, even in, in Inland Empire in Southern California, they, I was scared. I knew they would make money, 
I was just uh, scared because I did not know enough. If I was starting all the way over, I would do a couple things. First of all, I would find someone experienced and did, was doing what I was doing, what, what I wanted to do, and I would ask them for help and guidance. Nowadays, people call that a coach, a mentor, whatever, take a class, something. But my real estate training as a broker and real estate agent was just on residential, how to buy and sell homes to home buyers. It didn't really teach you anything about investing. And I wish that I, you know, had known about that. I don't, I mean, there wasn't really social, I think Facebook was kind of barely there. I mean, I'm not a big social media person, but now you can find all sorts of programs, classes, and help on how to do what you want to do for such a good price. So I wish I would have done that. If I was starting over, I would have said, hey, I want to invest in rental properties. I don't know how. I don't have faith in myself to make the right decision. So I'm going to find someone to tell me it's a good idea. I would do that. The second thing that I would do is just do it. If the numbers make sense to you, don't wait anymore. Oh my gosh, Neil, I found these contracts that the ones from 2010, I actually, I just found them a couple of weeks ago. I was going through stuff in my attic. Don't ask me why I brought them from California, but I brought these contracts, these purchase offers on the properties I was going to make in Fontana and the houses back then were $145,000 to $170,000 for these three bedroom or four bedroom houses. They would have cash flowed me at the time, but they are worth, we looked up some addresses, over $400,000 now, over four hundred, and that's been 10 years. So I'm like, okay, if I would have just freaking done it, just bought it, oh my God, I can't tell you our net worth would be so huge. We'd be making so much more money now. Those properties would likely have been paid off. So dumb me, you know? So if I was just starting over, I would say, stop being scared. You only live life once. Real estate goes up over time, always, no matter what. I mean, just look, y'all, people are always worried about uh, the next recession or the next depression, you know, and the market, the bubble bursting and the market dropping. Let's just take a step back. Let's look at houses in the 1930s, 1940s, 1950s, 1960s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and up. Have the houses ever gone down and stayed down? No, they always go back up. So don't be afraid of a market crash. If you're in it for buy and hold, if you're buying a rental property, don't worry about if the market's going to crash next year because you, you don't care. You're going to make positive cash flow because you're putting a tenant in that's going to make you money. And then you're going to hold it for 20, 30 years. Who knows? Maybe more. You're holding it for a long term. So first thing, get someone to help you not make mistakes. Second thing, take uh, not really a risk because I feel like if you invest wisely, it, there is no risk in real estate and just do it. Well said. I, you know, one of my uh, mentors has a, a concept he calls the three immutable laws of real estate investing. And this comes from Joe Fairless. This does not come from me. And Joe got this from Joe interviews. He's got a daily podcast where he's been interviewing people for forever, six, seven years. And a lot of this wisdom comes from interviewing other investors who survived the 2008 crash. And it's this one invest for cash flow. Mm -hmm. Two, invest with low leverage, long-term debt. And three, have sufficient cash reserves. And he said, if you do those three things, time is your friend. You will survive almost any market correction. I mean, obviously the world could come to an end, but we've probably got bigger problems than whether or not your real estate is is positive cash flowing if something like that happens. But if you do those three things, and if you think about it, you know, if it's positive cash flowing, if it goes down in value, 
for a while, who cares? Unless you like are desperate to pull the equity out. And, and you know, um, if you've got long-term low leverage debt on it, you know, it doesn't really, you know, it, the, the time period is going to be 30 years, you know, um, and if you've got sufficient cash reserves, you've got time to adjust. You know, most banks nowadays are going to require you to have six months PITI reserves anyway. And if you if you can't survive and make an adjustment in six months, um, then you know you you probably overextended yourself and you made a mistake. I agree. I feel scared for people that want to invest every little penny they have into buying a property. Just because it's cool to be an investor, you know, but you really have to be at a, the right place in your life to be an investor. It's not um, an initial job. You know, you shouldn't. I, I my opinion is you don't make I want to be an investor my job right away. Like You have your other job. You have your steady income and you're investing supplements it until eventually you don't need your regular job anymore. But it's to me, it's not a starting place because you need to have some sort of security. Um, I'm just a very safe person. And that's, again, why we don't do the Burr method and buy 10 to 20 properties at once. Um, it's just too scary for us. And it's a lot of work, um, too much leverage. And um, I like to spread the, the time that I buy my properties out. I bought them all today in this year. I wonder what that will do to me if there is a market crash or something like that. You know, I'd like to spread them out. So buy one this year or two, buy two the next year, buy two the next year. So that in over time, your properties have more equity. Other ones have even less. Other ones have more. Um, they're not all at the same level all the time. Yeah, gotcha. So you have a seven day, a free seven day mini course called Retiring Your Nine to Five with Rental Properties. Can you give yes. our listeners a basic overview of, of what they'll get if uh, we'll put that sure. in the show notes, but what they'll get with that? Yes. Yeah, so basically, if you're thinking that if you're considering investing in rental properties, if you're thinking, hey, I want to be a real estate investor, I'm not quite sure if rental properties is right for me. What does it even mean? What do you get? What is it? What do you do? What's the time required? How do you get them? This is what this is. It's a seven-day email mini course. It talks to you about uh, where to find the good deals, how many houses you need to create, the wealth that you're looking for, um, all the benefits of buying rental properties. Some people just think cash flows and people think equity. There are tons of different ways that you benefit financially from rental properties. It's a really good introduction for people that are thinking about it, but don't really know enough about it to make a decision that they want to move forward. Gotcha. Gotcha. And we'll put that a link to that in the show notes. Uh, well, Casey Franchini, welcome. Thank you so much for sharing with our audience today. You've got that many course. Uh, if any of our audience wants to reach out to you and find out more about you, what would be the best way for them to do that? Sure. I am on Instagram daily at brick by brick wealth. And they can also find me on my website, brickbybrickwealth.com. And I'm also happy to chat. If anyone wants to email me, it's Casey at brick by brick wealth com or okay. yeah. <laughs> okay. And we'll put all that in the show notes for you. Great. Thank uh, you. I had a great time. Thank you so much for having yeah, me. Yeah, me too. All right. Well, listen, I know you've got, uh, you've got kids to take care of and, and I've got a kid downstairs who wants my attention as well. So thanks again for your time today, Casey. Thank you very much. All right. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. Okay. That was Casey Franchini from Brick by Brick Wealth. Be sure and check her out on Instagram at Brick by Brick Wealth and visit her website, which will be in our show notes. So key lesson learned from me on this interview was the key to making single family rentals easy is good tenant 
screening. Find someone who knows how to do it well, read a book about it, develop systems to do it, um, and make sure that the people who are going to be staying in your property for years, you're basically going to be in business with them. And that's there. You're going to be your customer for hopefully years. Uh, and you want to make sure that those people are the kind of people that you want to be doing business with and you want to be in your property. Um, if you do that, so many people we've interviewed have said that this get this business becomes very easy uh, as far as single family rentals. Uh, how did they acquire, how did she acquire her knowledge? She learned by doing, I mean, she grew up, her dad, grew up around her dad who was a, uh, who did house flipping. Um, so she knew about it, a, a lot of that. Uh, she also, she became a real estate agent in, in her early twenties and did the training that they do. Um, but she admitted that she didn't really, when she went through that, and I hear of this from a lot of, um, I notice I notice this of a lot of retail residential real estate agents is they know nothing about real estate investing. All they know is people are looking for a house, looking for a place to live, and they want to buy it. So uh, make sure you go out and you you also learn from somebody who knows about real estate investing. How much money did it take them to get started in their chosen niche? Uh, it took them about $20,000 to buy a $94,000 property. And she, um, you know, I love the side hustle that she set up in order to be able to buy that. I think it was, it was such a great example of what's possible when you stop thinking, you know, why can't I do this? And instead think about how can I do this? How can I make this happen? She was a mom of three kids, or I think it was two kids at the time. And moms are overtasked, you know, and she just found found the energy and found the time and her schedule to do something that allowed her to make some extra money. And she put it away and saved and, and they're off and running. How much time do they spend on their real estate endeavors now that it's up and running? Uh, she said almost no time. I mean, it's obviously a lot more when they are in the process of rehabbing a property and when they're in the process of doing a tenant turnover and having to show a property. But she said almost, she almost never hears from her tenants, you know? So again, it comes down to tenant screening. If you, if you do a good job of tenant screening and you buy properties that are not, you know, going to be capital expenditure nightmares, you know, maintenance issues. Um, that's another, another key factor. Could they do this strategy from anywhere in the world? I would say no. Right now, this is very, very much a local thing and that's the way she likes it. And I totally, I totally understand that. She, they invest where they live and she manages the property. They do the, they do the rehabbing. It is all, they're very hands-on. So once again, that was Casey Franchini from Brick by Brick Wealth. Be sure and check her out on Instagram. We're doing this all again next week. Let's hit the road. Hey, before you go, if you like the show, we would be delighted if you'd head over to Podchaser and leave us an honest review. And do let us know why you like the show, how long you've been listening, and in particular, what you find really useful or entertaining. And let us know if there's anything you think we should change. Also, if you have specific questions about real estate investing, especially self-storage or short-term rentals, shoot us an email at info at roadtofamilyfreedom.com and we'll be happy to answer your question on the show. We might even turn it into an entire episode. Thanks for listening. We're doing this all again next week. Until then, safe travels on your road to financial freedom. <laughs>